Hello everyone, it's Camille and Louise, your host of the Feminist Book Chat Paris, a podcast that explores the many faces of an intersectional feminism through literature. Hi Camille, how are you doing? I'm great and you, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. It's Friday, it's sunny, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Yay. I'm all good. Um, what have you been reading recently? Um, I just finished today, this morning, to be honest, uh, Kindred, our next book club book. Yeah. And fantastic. I don't want to say too much about it because we'll have a discussion, but very exciting. And I've also started um, Trends Like Me by C.N. Lester, uh, a book that uh, Louise has lent me and I can't wait to know more. It's about... Um, Getting to know more about the trans community, what it involves, the question, the the consequences of people not knowing. So yeah. I guess it's always. I'm good. looking forward to us chatting about that. Um, I think it also does a really good job um, because the author C. N. Lester is um, from the UK, and I think they do a really good job of uh, showing the the negative role and the impact of the press as well yeah. and how the press reports on the uh, transgender issues um so yeah it's it's a really uh, well written book and yeah, yeah looking forward to talking what about, about you? that um so i'm kind of powering through uh, our july reading list options so like you i've just recently finished kindred and I'm, i'm also really looking forward to the book club discussion at shakespeare and company um i've also just finished uh circe by madeline miller Yay. um and oh my gosh i i just loved it so no much words. It's, it's like the yeah like no words well basically it's about kind of greek uh, mythology it's a retelling of a uh, greek uh, mythology but from the from a feminist uh, female perspective um and just every word kind of like very much like this her other book uh, the song of achilles every word just feels like a, a drop of nectar from the gods it's it's really beautiful mm, writing fantastic um and what am i think i'm gonna start next um oh the um i've got it in my bag It's The Revolting Prostitutes, The Fight for Sex Workers' Rights by Juno Mack and Molly Smith. I've just, I've only started the introduction, but it's already fascinating. Cool. And I think it's going to be really, really um, enthralling read. Well, so, I have yeah. to take this one from you too. Yes, of mm -hmm. course. <laughs> cool. Um, so let's start with today's discussion. Yeah. So, um, to quote the French-African feminist Amandine Gay, the early 80s represent an emblematic turning point in the black struggle for social justice in the US. It is the moment of the emergence in the academic and political world of the result of several decades of reading black women for the recognition of the specificity of their condition. Several notable publications by black women during this decade include Ain't I a Woman by Bell Hooks and Women, Race and Class by Angela Davis, both of which were published in 1981. Also, there were contributions from Audre Lorde, Patricia Bell Scott and Gloria T. Hull and Barbara Smith also, which analyzes the interactions between a systemic racism, patriarchy and capitalism. This is a significant amount of work that we want to acknowledge, to celebrate and to share. With the desire to know more about the women who fought for our rights and deepen our understanding of what intersectional feminism really means, we picked Women, Race and Class for our March book club session at Shakespeare and Company. 
So who is Angela Davis? She's an American communist, political activist, an academic and author. She first emerged as a prominent counterculture activist in the 1960s, working with the Communist Party of the US, of which she was a member until 1991. She was also an active member of the Black Panther Party during the civil rights movement. Her 1981 comparative study, Women, Race and Class, reveals the key tensions that underlie the intersection of feminism, civil rights and class struggle within the US. Social movements, even those started with the best intentions, are revealed to ultimately give in to sexist, racist and classist bias, thus impacting their ideologies which has carried through serious consequences for current day American society. Davis writes about influential activists that you may not have heard of before, such as Lucy Terry Prince, an ex-slave who became the first woman to argue before the Supreme Court in the 1790s, or Lucy Parsons, a 19th century socialist organizer who spoke out against the singular oppression of working class women, including sex workers. Davis also highlights the failings of early white feminists, such as Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who prioritised their race over gender, thus being complicit in advancing the white supremacist agenda. Great introduction. Thank you, Louise. So um, throughout the book, Angela Davis points out something that we could not get our mind off, the critical situation of women not supporting women. Nothing new under the feminist sun. But here's the question. Why and how have women not found a way to gather to fight for their rights, but opted instead for more exclusivity and selfishness? In Women, Race and Class, some of the pitfalls that prevented the United Front gave us some answers. Choosing class over sex and shutting down the working class voice, but mostly choosing race over sex and shutting down the black woman's voice for sure led to a misalignment of interests and priorities in the women's fight for emancipation. In the most crucial moments of women's emancipation process, as an implicit pact between the patriarchal and capitalist system, with a white feminist ready to crush anyone on its way to integrate the the decision makers, the urgency of preserving white supremacy at any cost led to white women acting poorly and letting women of color down. Because of the many racist myths put in place by the ruling system as a very calculated social control device that has given black women the status of, a best, of at best non-existent and at worst immoral, lascivious and impure, White girls have often turned around and agreed on unacceptable racism in order to get their rights. The result being that the much needed unified resistance does not occur because race is something that trumps gender in many ways. In Ain't I a Woman by Bell Hooks that I recommend you guys reading, the topic of black women's exclusion from everything by everyone is very well illustrated and pursues brilliantly the contradiction to be overcome between specific oppression as a central issue. It goes without saying that the answer lies in the articulation of anti-racist, feminist and anti-capitalist struggles and by prioritizing the most oppressed within these layers. This is what intersectionality must look like. 
Yeah, really well said, uh, Camille. And I think just because we've we've got the example, uh, you've quoted Bell Hooks, and and obviously we're talking about Angela Davis, but I'm thinking of a more recent up-to-date example yeah. uh you remember when we were reading eloquent rage of by course. dr Brittany cooper and this um white women not coming for women of color not supporting them mm-hmm. is something that she dedicates a whole chapter to um if you guys have read it it's the uh, white girl tears chapter where she talks about the the election of trump and the fact that 52 percent white women 52 percent um of white women voted uh, for Donald Trump yeah. as their president. So, you know, we see in a current day context this um, choosing uh, choosing race over gender. Very and, true friend. you know, she, she had a great reaction, which was like the day after when white women were organizing the Women's March. She was like, no, hell no. I went for a black girl's brunch in Brooklyn, you know? And, and then we got, acti- we got active, obviously, and, yeah. and supported. But uh, you, you certainly can understand that reaction and, and not deny deny that so definitely something that you know still work needs to be done mm-hmm. so to say um great thank thanks for that section um i'm going to talk a little bit about the chapter racism birth control and reproductive rights i'm just going to start with a quote from from the book The birth control movement has seldom succeeded in uniting women of different social backgrounds and rarely have the moment's leaders popularized the genuine concerns of working class women. Moreover, arguments advanced by birth control advocates have sometimes been based on blatantly racist premises. So this chapter reminds us once again that women of colour are left out in the cold when it comes to the women's emancipation. In this case, it's the abortion rights campaign in the States during the 1970s. Um, A common excuse used by the predominantly white abortion rights campaigners at the time when questioned about the absence of racially oppressed women was that, well, they were too busy fighting against racism. An argument which totally disregards the universal truth that birth control is a fundamental necessity for all of women's emancipation. Therefore, you need all women to be fighting for the same purpose. In the lead up to the decriminalization of abortion in the US, statistics showed that around 80% of deaths from illegal slash backstreet abortions in New York concerned black and Puerto Rican women. Now, the main motivation for black women getting an abortion at this time was less to do with just wanting to get themselves rid of an unwanted fetus and more a refusal to bring children into a world where they would be unfairly treated. It's not hard to understand why black women would choose not to bring children into a world of forced labour. One well-known example of this is the fugitive slave Margaret Garner, whose story inspired Toni Morrison's Beloved. Yes, and also it makes me think a little bit of the situation um, uh, women face in Kindred, the book we just read uh, that we'll discuss in our next book club session because it really exposed the problematic situation of women having, like women being slave and having children um, and having their their children used as a tool by the the masters uh, in order to keep them working. Uh, And if they don't work or they act poorly, uh, the master would just like uh, sell. Uh, absolutely they could separate children from their parents yeah which i mean is just unbelievably cruel yeah that's that's a very um pertinent example absolutely um so 
you know, there was there was never resistance per se from black women in regards to wanting or fighting for abortion rights. Um, however, understandably, they had complicated feelings surrounding abortion because of the crappy social conditions they had to face. Again, understandably, you can there's more context as to why they would be deterred from having children or expanding their family when their family unit was constantly threatened. Um, if you take a look at the current abortion climate in the States, it's very sobering and, and ever so slightly depressing to realize two things. Firstly, abortion rates for black women are still high. And secondly, the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision is I mean, it's, un it's seriously under threat, especially following the 2018 election of Brett Kavanaugh as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, in the show notes, we've linked to an excellent response article to a recent attack on black women, which dates from July 2018. A male journalist, uh, Fox News commentator, described high abortion rates amongst black women as black violent behavior. He chose to completely ignore the statistics. Um, in the States, intimate partner violence is a leading cause of death of black women. There's also a maternal health crisis, meaning that black women are three to four times more likely to die whilst giving birth. And let's not forget that we live in the era of Black Lives Matter. Police violence against people of color is high, high, an all-time high. And black people are still dealing with race racist social issues such as the wage gap and low net worth. The author of the response article, by the way, is someone worth getting on your radar. Her name is Yamani Hernandez, and she is the executive director of the National Network of Abortion Funds. Um, just very quickly before I hand back over to Camille, this chapter in the book also covers sterilization abuse. It is well worth a read, even if it's not an easy read. And again, we've linked to some recent articles in the show notes if this is a subject you'd like to explore more. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Very interesting. And indeed, I think this chapter is intense. And yeah, uh, but very. I mean, I I I got so much out of reading it in the, yeah. in the sense of uh, having a context, um, understanding why uh, there was a need to be empathetic, and exactly. you know, having the history as well. Of course, to, it's the least we can we can do actually. Absolutely. <clears throat> So um, another point to highlight, uh, I think, in this book is the never-ending use of rape for racist purpose. Mm -hmm. So indeed, rape was and still is used as a primary weapon for subjugation and domination. Comfort women during the Vietnam War, slavery, and still today in keeping women to the object status by humiliation, rape has always shown its efficiency. In the essay, the power of sex as a weapon is to be understood and acknowledged in order to go against it. Concerning black men, the false charge of rape is the most enormous subterfuge that racism has invented. The myth of the black rapist has been systematically put on the table every time it has been necessary to justify a new wave of violence and terrorism against the black community. And as for black female victim of rape, what to do and who to report when it is the same police and political authorities who rape you. So throughout the period of slavery, sexual violence was one of the central dimension of relationship between the master and the slave. In other words, the rights granted by the owners of black women's body 
was only the expression of their alleged right of property over the black people as a whole. A sort of standardized rape policy that still keeps living through the myth that sadly survived progress and moral evolution in nowadays society. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, it's very true. And and to touch upon that, the 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 fact of the myth surviving progress and 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 evolution. Um, I think again we can we can look to Kindred, um, the wife of um, the mother of Rufus, yeah. for example. Um, okay, it's it's not sexual violence, but there's another vi- level of violence there um, that uh, was especially taken out upon uh, black female slaves yeah. who obviously posed a threat. Um, in terms of their husband's fidelity. Yeah, it's always about jealousy and... and Absolute jealousy and and fear of the kind of fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. and and total lack of empathy. Um, And another excellent book I read recently, which we featured on our Instagram feed and and we've had a quick discussion about, Kemi, is Emma DeBerry's Do Not Touch My Hair. Yeah. Really, really well researched, really well written. Um... And, and, and another thing that, you know, black female slaves had to put up with from the wives of their slave owners was this mutilation of their hair, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, this uh, this fear of the unknown, this kind of um, building up false myths about it. You know, the white wives would chop off black female slaves hair well, as soon as they're human. yeah as soon as their husbands you know turned their back and it's just layers and la- upon layers of of of, of violence and uh, yeah mutilation so yeah um some really great points therefore that we just wanted to share with you um i think in conclusion our opinion is Add women, race, and class to your TBR list ASAP. Um, This detailed analysis of the history of black women in America is something that we all should be aware of. As Camille has said uh, just now, it's, you know, it's the least that we can do to educate ourselves about this. Um, We'd even go so far as to say it's, we think it's required reading, especially as we continue to come up against the whiteness and eliteness of uh, feminism. Well said, friend. Um, so thank you guys for listening uh, you can leave us a comment or, or a review on iTunes if you'd like to and also follow us on Instagram at the FBC Paris and you can sign up for our bi-monthly newsletter via the link in our Instagram bio same goes for Paris-based listeners who would like to join us for book clubs at Shakespeare and Company bye bye, bye.